Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. We're talking the projections that are actually really useful on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio. We have a lot of sponsors for the show tonight. We have the FFPC, FanDraft, Thera One, Sunday Ticket, Bet Online. We have a lot of sponsors. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. And I can't forget, Matt, we have a new sponsor. Uh, that is Underdog. And I'm sure that everybody out there listening has already heard about Underdog, the fantastic new platform for doing those best ball drafts, doing your drafts quickly. We will talk a little bit more about them later, but how are you doing, Matthew? Uh, I am doing well. Uh, a couple thoughts. One, um, I believe that at the top of the show, we had the uh, the promo for Tied in One, Greg Olson's podcast. I think he also has an episode with uh, Cole Komet. So he, he lists like all of these fantastic players and then he doesn't list Cole Komet, who's like the, the one guy not listed, which uh, I think is kind of funny. But uh, anyway, so one, Cole, Cole Komet, don't miss that Greg Olson tight end episode. Uh, and then number two, I think at the top of the show, you teased it with something like the projections that are actually really useful, something like that. What does that mean? Well, Matt, what that means is, as I've talked about a fair amount of times, I think on the podcast, I, I do the projections that we actually list up at Rotoviz. I invest a lot of time into doing that. But I've never truly felt that projections carry as much meaning or as much value as a lot of fantasy gamers, analysts, and I think the industry at large wants to believe. And that's because we know that projections are so fragile and there's so many external factors that can make or break a projection for a player. And we also shouldn't be viewing a player as just that one data point because we know that really in like the best case scenario that we can do, if we're doing our projections really well, we're trying to, at least normally, most people are estimated players, average, median type of outcome that just falls into this distribution. So I feel like you're losing a lot of um, context. And I also will sometimes get emails from people asking me for thoughts about how to do something which if I were building a tool for it would be to make an optimizer. So it's, it's questions like, hey, like, how do I take all of the projections from Rotoviz, give my position requirements, and then have it basically spit out what would be the way to get the most points into my lineup? You know, if I start a quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, one flex, one tight end, kicker DST, like, how do I do that? And my answer normally is I don't know if that's how you should be building your team. So it goes back to the fact that if you have a projections that's just one data point, Right, and you're just boiling down. I don't know DeAndre Hopkins, for example, to like 225 points. That doesn't really have a whole lot of meaning to me, 
Uh, so we can talk about a way that we can kind of address that. But I guess I will ask you first, have I given you the answer to that that you were expecting? Or do you think I've enumerated on that enough? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, can I also just mention for everybody out there, I've had people asking what happened to the sound effects on the show, Matt. I had some problem with an older mixer related to many of the problems I've had with this podcast, the flooding. But I'm glad to say that we have a new tool and we now have sound effects back. And uh, Matt, I think you can attest to how pumped up I was before the show started about these sound effects. Yeah, I'm not sure that this is uh, a net positive, but I'm happy that you are happy. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. See, we have a lot of good stuff now. We got crickets. You know, we got a, you know, like a, a sad kind of sound. Um, I'm going to save some of them. I'm going to save some of them. But um, before we get into the heart of today's show, I did get, um, or I should say we, but this is going to be a question more directed at me as it relates to auctions. Uh, the question came in uh, related to nominations and bidding. I think what I'm going to do here is just direct this listener to a podcast series that I did last year um, with Dr. Jeff Budoff, who writes fantastic injury-focused articles for Rotoviz, but is also super, super hardcore into auctions. Just Google a deep dive into auction strategy. Rotoviz Radio, and you'll see it. we did two parts last year. We hit on, I think, everything you would need to know. I'm also putting out on the site this year a 2020 auction draft strategy guide. Now, a key thing to realize here, though, is for auction drafts, I think that strategies that you should employ are applicable to every season. So a lot of what I'm talking about in these are things that are actually like micro and macro economic principles um, and different aspects of an auction draft that I feel like don't get talked about enough. Oftentimes it's just a focus on pricing for particular players, which very honestly isn't the first thing you should be doing when you're looking at your draft. And often it's a mistake to really get locked into values for players. Um, I'm going to give a quick example on this, Matt, just so that people can understand why there's more to auctions than meet the eye or more than the advice that you normally get. For example, I will see certain people recommend that you consider players a percentage of a roster, but they're normally arriving at that by saying, if you look at the ESPN value for Christian McCaffrey and it's 50 bucks out of 200, they're saying, okay, you know, he should go for around like 25% of budget. You can't do that because if your league has different roster settings and there's more running backs or there's more flex, those percentages get all thrown out of whack. So that's just like a quick hitter on why you can't really give blanket answers to a lot of this and there's much more to it. Um, so I would just say to anybody that's interested and to the person that sent in the question, which we really appreciate, go back and search for a deep dive into auction strategy um, and also just go onto the site and, and search uh, the 2020 auction strategy guide, and that should give you everything you need. With that I would, behind I would us, also say, yep. also just to add on uh, something, uh, if you are playing in an auction league, uh, don't just play in another type of league instead and uh, save your time. Oh, you're lucky. I haven't found that boo button yet. I forget where it is, Matt, but you got a big boo. All right. Good. All right. Good. I'm, I'm trying to bait you. <laughs> yes, I know you are. Um, It's time for this week's FFPC stat attack, and it's going to give us 
the real heart of this episode and why I think that there's better ways to look at projections. I want to talk to everybody about Aaron Jones very quickly. If you had to look at the probabilities of Aaron Jones in this 2020 season based upon what he did last year, we'll go through the process a little bit more in a minute. But I can say with a decent amount of certainty that there's about a 14% chance that he finishes as an RB3. 30% chance he finishes an RB6, which feels crazy. 62% chance, Matt, that he finishes as an RB12. 74% as an RB18 or better. 78 as at least an RB2. Going up to 94% as an RB36 or better. We will also get Matt's take on those numbers in a minute. But first, let me remind you that the FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty, Best Ball, and of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's M-Y-F-F-P-C.com. And of course, we've got a handful of tools at Rotoviz designed specifically for FFPC domination. Um, so actually, Matt, before I, I kind of do a quick rehash of, ha- of how I create these numbers for anybody that may have not been listening earlier on in the year, when you hear those numbers, how outlandish do those sound? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I hate those numbers, but, um, I'll, I'll say that, let me actually, let me get some, some perspective on this. Yes. You create these numbers by looking not at a projection that you've created for this season, but by looking at what Aaron Jones did last year and then projecting that forward. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I think for most players, um, and then actually let me just dig a little deeper on that. So using Aaron Jones's production last year and then projecting that forward, then I'm assuming you come out, come up with some sort of uh, distribution, uh, and that's how you get uh, the percentages for RB3, RB6, RB12, and so on. Is yeah, that correct? Yep, yeah, exactly. And then, and then of okay. course, also, you know, like we've talked about before, it is looking at his age experience and then a little bit of waiting to the biophysical traits. Okay. So I think for most players that general approach would work. I think the one time when it wouldn't work is when there is reason enough to believe that there could be a significant difference between what happened last year and where a guy is projected for this season. And so, you know, maybe you believe that what Aaron Jones is going to do this year, uh, like the median outcome for what he does this year is sort of approximating enough what he did last year. I don't think that's going to be the case because I think he would have some touchdown regression anyway. Uh, And then with the addition of A.J. Dillon, uh, I think there will just be fewer rushing opportunities and fewer goal line opportunities on top of the expected regression. So I don't think that these numbers are actually that accurate. So, you know what? The thing is here, I actually am inclined to agree with you. And I kind of bring this all up to highlight some of my original point about when you have a projection that is just that one number subjectively created of how dangerous it is to just get married to those numbers. Because I know that for how I'm generating these, 
I have a pretty good process. We've now tested it for, you know, a number of years and I know that it's a pretty good methodology. However, like every type of projection you're going to do, there's things that it just can't account for. So what I tend to do is when I get these results, the first question I will ask myself is, was that player's season that is being used to generate these forward-looking numbers representative of I th- of what I view a normal season or a reproducible season for that player to be. And I think that in the case of an Aaron Jones, you're seeing him get pushed up into the stratosphere of players that are going to match for him in the searching algorithm that I'm not sure if we have enough evidence yet to rule that he's in that stratosphere of player. So I'm not going to actually sit there and tell anybody that I think there's a 62% chance he finishes as an RB12. I'm just going to say, though, that I what I do like about these numbers is sometimes they can help to bring you back to center a little bit because I feel like there's so much talk from people out there about the fear of Aaron Jones with the regression, about the fear of A.J. Dillon stepping into a role that's going to lower Aaron Jones' value that you start to forget about just how good of a season he did have last year. There's some possibility that he's able to carry that forward in some respects, and even if there is that regression, which is going to be expected, you could still be looking at a fairly special season from Jones. Um, Do you have any comments on that? Because I think I just threw out a number of different ideas. No, I mean that that feels accurate. Uh, I think it's a good, I think it's a good general approach. Um, you know, in the early days of Rotoviz, uh, fantasy douche had kind of this saying about uh, it's that's actually it's actually not a saying, but something where he would talk about projections, and I think he was thinking specifically of uh, Gillespie, uh, and he would say this system does not take into account X, Y, and Z. So, you know, it knows this, but it doesn't know that, you know, like Tom Brady's offensive line sucks this year relative to last year, or like, it doesn't know that the, uh, there's a new offensive coordinator or something like that. So yeah, projections, um, they're useful, but you always have to kind of be aware of the limitations or like the assumptions that go into it and what it doesn't take into account. Yeah. And we've kind of talked about this before too, um, of how there's going to be a distribution of point totals that you can expect from a player. So here, um, what I'm doing is you have that searching algorithm that's weighted in ways that uh, are going to make this more predictive by looking at the stats that will carry from year to year, you know, everything that would go into that. And then I'm basically looking at the player's finishes to see what percentage of them finished in those different thresholds. Um, So that's kind of the quick rehash on how these numbers are arrived at. Um, you can get some more context on these and look at the point distributions if you go to the Range of Outcomes app at Rotoviz. Um, What we're going to do now, Matt, is we are going to talk about some of these results and then we're going to bring in the other pieces of information, those things that we do know about changes in that player situation and see how we might kind of tweak or shift these results. Um, Before we do that, though, again, I'm really impressed with this new um way of taking your league's fantasy football draft to the next level and that of course is fan draft the online fantasy football draft board fan draft makes your draft feel like the actual nfl draft 
Uh, as we've talked about, you pick your team walk-up song. A lot of fun. Um, you can have multiple draft board displays. There are live draft clocks, custom logos. There's a streaming ticker. So many things to just make this feel like the real thing. You can use it offline for in-person drafts. Uh, you can put the actual draft display up onto a large screen TV, use a projector. Uh, you can also use it all online, which this year might be a great way to keep everybody engaged and enthused. All of your league owners join the draft remotely. You can also do traditional auction-style drafts. Uh, FanDraft also supports IDPs, rookie-only drafts, keepers, just about any customization to meet your, to meet your league requirements. Sign up for a free trial account at FanDraft.com. When you decide to go pro, make sure you use the promo code ROTOVIZ15 to save 15% off your purchase. Again, that's Fandraft.com, an absolute slam dunk to keep your league rolling in 2020. Use promo code ROTOVIZ15 to save 15%. Okay, so I didn't actually ask you this when we talked about Aaron Jones, but I, I think he's such an interesting player, Matt, that I do want to kind of throw this back to you. If you were going to tweak those numbers that we had, and again, um, let, let's use the 62% as an RB12, which we both agree is, is way too optimistic. Keeping that number in mind, what would you tweak it to using everything that we now know about his situation in 2020? 45% maybe? 45%. See, I, that's actually still really strong, don't you think? Yeah, it, it is, but like I, I do want to respect that he's uh, a really good pass catcher. So I, I think he should get plenty of work within that offense. It's not just like leading the backfield in receptions, but he could conceivably be the number two receiver in that offense. Uh, so I want to keep that in mind. And then the fact that he has been really efficient, not just scoring touchdowns, but you know on a yards per opportunity basis. Uh, and you know, the fact that I should keep in mind, like I need to have some humility in this, like maybe AJ Dillon doesn't come along as quickly as I think he will. Like maybe Aaron Jones actually does, uh, continue to do something this year. That's similar to what he did last year. Like uh, 45% feels, feels reasonable, you know, like mm -hmm. I would want to push that number a little bit lower, but I don't know if I can do that given what he did last year and like how good he probably is as a player. Yeah. So that 45%, I actually think, um, like I said, is a really optimistic uh, number overall. You know, the one thing, and, and I hate to spend so much time on Aaron Jones because I know we've talked about him before, but I, I think that this Packers backfield always ends up being very intriguing. We saw Aaron Jones have such a stellar season last year that it does kind of beg the question. And I understand the Packers used pretty significant draft capital on bringing A.J. Dillon in. But is it possible that Jones is just so good that they don't really even need to use Dylan? Um, that's kind of a rhetorical question. We can move on unless you really want to address that. No, that's, I mean, it's possible that that actually is possible. Just think of like Derrick Henry. He didn't get all that much, much usage his rookie year. Yep. Okay, Matt, we can now move on. So Leonard Fournette, according to Twitter, is a fairly polarizing player before we get into his numbers and I ask you for kind of your estimate of what you think his probability or his percentages should be are you on the four net train at a running back ADP of 17 or are you off of it I think that's it's a little bit high um 
I get it, but uh, I, I think it's a little bit high. So I, I have like zero Fournette exposure. Got like it. Just to kind of put it in perspective. So here's the crazy thing to me. When I look at that number and I think about the fact that he did get 100 targets last year in the receiving game, second in expected points per game at the running back position last year. And sure, they're bringing Chris Thompson. That might lower those target totals somewhat. It's really surprising to me, though, that we see a player with that massive of an opportunity in one year falling to RB17 in the following year. But then you start looking at these names, and it brings me back to kind of what we talked with Fantasy Mansion about the, the notion that wide receiver's deep. I mean, I think if you're saying that wide receiver's deep, running back is really deep this year because these names all above and even a little bit below Fournette still seem much more attractive than they have in years past. Yeah, so he's not going to have 100 targets again. Like, I think maybe he has 50. You know, maybe 60, but 50 is probably more realistic. And as weird as this sounds, like the 4.3 yards per carry last year is likely to regress negatively. That's true. Um, You know, because in his rookie year, he had 3.9. His uh, second season, he had 3.3. I don't think he's going to be as efficient as a runner. And even though we should expect that he's going to have uh, more touchdown luck this year. You know, like he's not going to score only three touchdowns. It's also not likely that he's going to be highly efficient at turning his yards into touchdowns because his offense probably won't be that good. I mean, maybe it will be, but it probably won't be. So even if Fournette has let's say 1,200 yards, it might end up being a fairly empty 1,200 yards. Yeah, I I definitely hear um, what you're saying there. And then the other thing naturally that's depressing this ADP was Fournette's situation with the team heading into the year. It seemed like he was unhappy there, like he might get traded. So there's, there's some dynamics there as well. And then, as we mentioned, Chris Thompson, relationship with the coaching staff. Um, and, and you know what, actually, it's, I like that you mentioned the downside there because that is really, I think, what makes Fournette so dangerous. One, I don't think he has all that high of a ceiling, but then two, his downside is uh, is greater than what we normally see with other running backs in this range because his situation isn't as solid with his team. So like his median projection, it's okay. You know, like it's right there with all of the other guys who are being drafted in this range, but his downside, like the odds of him having like an RB 36 type of season, like his, his downside is greater. Yeah. So want me to give you the, the numbers that, uh, yes, this actually comes up with. So an RB three or better finished 14% RB six, 30% RB 12, 54% RB 18, 64%. Naturally you are thinking these are way too high. No, no, it's, it's weird. Not that it's like way too high. I'd say maybe a a titch too high, but it's either like, it's either this or nothing. You know what I mean? Like there's just a massive chasm between where he, like where he could be, like where you would project him on a median outcome and where he might be if things go wrong. Yeah. Um, I definitely understand that viewpoint, but the one thing I really do wonder about are you really buying, or let me say it differently, in what percentage of seasons does Chris Thompson really come in and take away 50 targets from Fournette? Because I can certainly see how that happens, but I am a little skeptical that this happens, you know, 75, maybe even 50% of the time. 
Uh, it's a player that's played ha- 10, 11 games for the last couple of seasons. Granted, when he's in, he does get about 10 opportunities per game, which is sizable, but I think you understand my, my um, you know, kind of pushback on this here. Yes. Okay. So let's assume I would need to look into the numbers on this a little bit more, but let's assume that he actually plays like 12 and a half games, yep. which like, I think that's probably a, a reasonable sort of like median outcome for what he might do. Uh, he being Chris Thompson. Yep. Uh, and so if Chris Thompson does that and if he gets, I think I projected him for around a 15% target share, which uh, on a per game basis, which might feel aggressive, but I think that's kind of in line with what he's done for his career. So if he does that, that puts him around 66 targets, uh, just kind of based on my projections for the Jacksonville offense in general. So, you know, if he plays 12 and a half games, uh, I think that's actually reasonable. Like those, those targets are going to have to come from someone and they're going to come from Fournette. All right. I think that we've touched upon it enough. Again, very polarizing player. Uh, however, though, at that ADP of 17, it does make him, I think, a little bit more attractive than people want to give him credit for. We are going to take a quick break here, but we will be back talking about Philip Lindsay in just a minute. At Rotoviz, we love titles. We love hardware. We love championships. We love winning. And we love it when you do it too. In 2020, one thing we want to win with you is the underdog fantasy best ball mania one million dollar best ball tournament it's two hundred thousand dollars to first place it's only twenty five dollars to enter it's a no-brainer this is like the elite best ball title this year so you got to go to underdogfantasy.com or download their great underdog fantasy app in the app store on your smartphone device and you're going to make a deposit you're going to use code rotoviz when you make that deposit then you're going to go refer five friends and underdog and rotoviz will give you a free entry into the best ball mania tournament so it's, it's kind of like a two for one. You sign up, you put in 25 bucks, you enter the Best Ball Mania tournament, you get five buddies to play, you use code Rotoviz, you get a free entry. No brainer, guys. Let's chase that glory. 200 grand. If $25 is too pricey for you, they've got a $5 tournament called the Bubble, and you can win 20 grand in that bad boy. Their app is slick. You click on the player's name, you see the ownership, you see the latest news and notes. You can draft from that app with no problem. Man, they really knocked it out of the park with this product, and I can't wait for you to try it. So go to underdogfantasy.com today, make a deposit, and use code ROTOVIZ, and chase that glory. Yeah, so Philip Lindsay, Matt, you're playing Underdog Fantasy, which we have a lot of people, ROTOVIZ guys, loving it, um, playing there. Let's say you're in a league. I'm telling you when you're on the clock that the range of outcomes app places Philip Lindsay with a 22% chance of finishing as an RB12, but it doesn't know that Melvin Gordon is on the Denver Broncos now. How far back do we have to scale that 22%? Mm, I'd say cut it in half. I mean, I feel like there's got to be a way uh, where instead of scaling based on what happened last year, uh, scaling based on the projections that you have for this year. Mm-hmm. I just don't know exactly the mechanics of that, but I feel like that could be done. Um, actually, as you mentioned that, I think that um, one way I could do that, boy, we're coming up with a lot of good stuff on these shows. I got to start taking notes. I'm going to have to go back and listen. That makes me think that one thing I could do would be to come up with some standard deviation that I would use um, 
to deflate or inflate my subjective market share projection so that then the guys you're finding that can match in the next season have to have had some type of, you know, there's some lower and an upper limit. And then you're kind yeah. of more or less looking at what happens with the efficiency. Of course, I could do something blended. It's hard because in other things I'm doing subjectively, I'm letting some of this inform me. So you kind of have um, the fear of getting this into some type of circular process. Right, right. Um, we talked about that, though, you know, processes like this a fair amount um, uh, already this year. But that's an, that's an interesting thought. Um, so... We've spent a lot of times on running back here. Um, I did also want to get into tight ends a little bit, but before we move along, were there any running backs that you're really interested to hear about? Uh, yes, one more. And I think it kind of touches on a, a question of whether uh, you're using total season data or per game data, but uh, James Conner, what your thoughts are on him and what the numbers are. Yeah, so I was using um, per game data yeah and oh baby so <laughs> those numbers are going to look good i'm imagining so here's the crazy thing matt um the rb1 percentage only 16 percent rb18 percentage only 32 rb24 percentage only 44 you're probably saying what in the world is going on? And Connor is one of those guys who, for whatever reason, the year N plus one just did not work out in his favor. Yeah. Um, I think you're probably counting into that games at the end of the season, right? Like in the second half of the year where he played, but right. he wasn't really like himself, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if you did something that looked at, uh, just the first half of the season before he was injured or even looked at the first half of the season plus all of the season before that. Yep. Um, that would, I, I think that would be more accurate. Right. Um, if you were assigning, and, and I know that you love James Conner this year and he's actually in that range of between maybe like an ADP of 15 to an ADP of 18. He's the player that I like the most and maybe one of the few that would cause me to deviate off of my normal plans because I do want to make sure that I get James Conner as a running back on at least one or two of my teams this year. You like him too. In reality, where or not, I shouldn't say in reality, in your mind, where do you place the percentage of times that he finishes an RB1 at? Uh... I don't know, man. I mean, I, I want to be super aggressive on it, but 50%. I mean, here's here's one question. Yep. Do you think it would be worth looking at something like the Rotoviz Stat Explorer? Yep. And then seeing the number of times in which James Conner over the past two years, uh, like on a, a per game basis, the number of times in which he's actually been uh, in RB1 and basically kind of shoehorning it that way and thinking yep. like, okay, if 2018 and 2019, he was an RB1, I'm looking at it now, 43% of the time, but that includes all of the games in the second half of the 2019 season when he wasn't really himself. Like if you cut it at just week eight, uh, the, the last game in which he was actually healthy, you would see 50% of the time in his games, he's been an RB1. And so I would probably want to put it around that number of 50%. Yeah, I don't hate that that thought process at all. Um, I 
do think that there could be compelling reasons to scale it back to some degree. Um, but if you wanted to put it at like, you know, like 43%, 44%, I wouldn't have any quibble with that. 50% is maybe kind of high, but I think, um, you know, at that point we're kind of slicing hairs. Yeah. I mean, just to, to put this in context, I have him projected really close to other guys who are going in the top five. So like, I'm, I'm very optimistic on him, probably too optimistic, but, uh, that would, that certainly is shading the way I'm projecting him, uh, just in terms of thinking of his RB one potential. Got it. Um, and, and I should, um, add a note here too, that I'm going to be putting these numbers out in an article, um, that should be coming out this week. And I'll try to add in some context on players that, um, you know, I think that, uh, this process isn't entirely applicable to this season. Um, so if you want to look at all the numbers, you will be able to do it that way. We are going to take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors, but we will be back in a moment. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore. So everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with a revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device. When Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments, he created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the US, and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now, through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products, but you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of your purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun.com slash bluewire. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss your favorite teams or favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Okay, Matt, I now want to jump over to tight ends and let's start here with a player that is very interesting there's been some news about he and the other tight end that he plays with and this is philadelphia eagles 
backup tight end, Dallas Goddard. Uh, I think that these, well, if I give any kind of indication here, that's probably going to give it away. Shooting from the hip, where would you place Dallas Goddard's percentage probability here of being a tight end one in 2020? Hmm. So I have him projected as a low end tight end one right now. And uh, looking, I'm scrolling into my uh, Philadelphia projections. I have him projected for around a 16% target share on a per game basis. And I'm assuming that he's going to be used more uh, like he was in the second half of the season or like starting around like week six than he was in the first half of the season. And in the second half of the season, he was a, so let's say like week, week six on, uh, in those 11 games, he was a tight end one 73% of the time. Like that feels too high, you know, that, that feels too high. And the thing is he was like a low end tight end one in most of those games. Um, but, uh, I think he has a pretty decent chance. I'd say like 40%, maybe, I don't know, 35 to 45%. So you're like uh, lockstep in here almost with uh, the range of outcomes app, which puts a 38% chance of uh, Goddard finishing as a tight end one tight end six, 12% tight end 18, 48%. So it seems like you're fairly in line with that. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is he has the room for so much more. If Deshaun Jackson gets injured or Alshon Jeffrey doesn't return uh, like the way people think he will, if uh, Jalen Rager is a little slower to develop or, you know, if Zach Ertz suffers an injury, but even on his own, I think Goddard is going to get a pretty decent amount of action. Yeah, I would actually feel comfortable um, with Goddard as my my starting tight end on a lot of my fantasy teams, just because I think that, uh, like you said, absent of those other conditions coming to fruition, I still think that um, he's good enough and that team has a situation where he should be fairly utilized. Uh, So moving along from Goddard, um, Mike Gusecki, a player that a lot of people are hoping can have his big breakout this year in a somewhat revamped look um, in Miami course will likely be starting the season with ryan fitzpatrick tua might come into the fold where would you put the tight end one probability uh i haven't projected outside of the top 12 but not all that far outside like around tight end 15 and i would kind of translate that into maybe like a 25 to 35% chance. It's weird because I have him projected for 19% of the targets in Miami uh, on a per game basis playing 14 and a half games. Um, Now that would easily be a career high last year. He had 16% target share, but um, you know, there are questions as to how good that Chan Gailey offense is going to be. And then Devontae Parker is going to get his Preston Williams coming back is going to get his. So I don't know. I'll, I'll say I said 25 to 35. I yep. feel comfortable with that. Yeah. So this has him at a 36% chance of finishing as a tight end 12 or better. When you get to the tight end six range, it's only at 8% tight end 18 at 44 tight end 24 at 60 
percent. Um, so it actually views Goddard as being a little bit safer, um, you know, kind of like the same um, chances of them kind of having that breakout tight end one season. If you really want to label that as a as a breakout for these guys, um, anyone else at the tight end position that you want to uh, take a couple minutes to talk about? Yeah, Noah Fant is intriguing um, for a few reasons. One, uh, I mean, he was just awesome last year on a per opportunity basis, you know, a per route or per target basis. He was really efficient. Uh, and I'm, I think, a little out of step with the rest of the uh, the community in expecting that Denver offense to be, I don't know, like significantly better than it was last year. Um, so wait, just which, to, just to clarify that, yeah, you're out of step. Um, which way? I think it's going to be better. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I think too many people are looking at Drew Locke and looking at that offense last year under a different offensive coordinator and thinking that it's going to be something kind of similar. But you know, last year that offense was bad. It had three different quarterbacks and an offensive coordinator that wasn't very good. Now it has one quarterback who's entering his second year. Uh, Pat Shermer, you know, say what you want for him as a head coach, but as a play caller, I think he's been pretty decent. You know, the past four years, he's had four different quarterbacks, none of whom were really all that great, yet he still managed to coordinate or oversee an offense that played at a pretty decent pace and passed uh, at a pretty high rate. And so I think that's what we're going to see. And so if they're playing faster and they're throwing more, I just think that's going to mean more opportunities for Noah Fant. So I'm, you know, it's not as if like I'm, locked in projecting him to be like a, a top five tight end, but uh, I could see how he gets there. So keep in mind, this is a player um, that uh, we've only have. Am I right on this? There's only one season, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just one season. And we still see him get a 24% chance of being, you know, in this estimated type of probability, I guess we'll, we'll, you know, give that caveat 24% for a tight end one finish, which for a player at that age, I think is very strong. It likes him just a little bit more than TJ Hawkinson, who's at 22 um, in the tight end 18 um, or better has Fant at 34% Hawkinson at 30. And, you know, I don't think those numbers are particularly outlandish to me. I think they kind of fall in with what I would expect. So I think those are both two players to be fairly excited about. Um, and I, I do like Fant myself. I don't think I'm as uh, I'm quite as um, optimistic as you on that Denver offense as a whole. But um, I think Fant's one of those guys I can see myself taking a chance on because outside of those top players at the position, I just don't think there's a tremendous amount of separation between him and some of these other options. I'm kind of curious though, Matt, um, if you're comparing him to a player like Jared Cook, how much of a difference do you think there is between Cook and maybe a Fant or a Hawkinson? Because I get the perception um, that some people don't think it's very large. Where do you stand on that? I like Fant quite a bit more than Jared Cook, uh, who I think is going to have to compete for many more targets this year. Uh, obviously, you know, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara are there, but then you have Emmanuel Sanders coming in and Cook isn't going to have the touchdown, uh, the touchdown luck basically that he had last year. So I prefer Fant. Hawkinson, he has unquestioned upside, but I'm a little more pessimistic on him because he's is still he's still he's still dealing with uh, his his foot injury 
from last year. He said that that's not 100% yet, which I think is really troubling. Uh, and, of course, there's all the, the target competition with Galladay, with Marvin Jones, with, I mean, Danny Amendola even, you know, in the middle of the field who is, you know, at worst an average slot receiver. And then you have DeAndre Swift coming in who I think will command a fair share of targets. So uh, I'm I'm fairly pessimistic this year on Hawkinson, even though long-term I still like him. Yeah, and um, I, I will give a little preview here. As far as the wide receivers go, Kenny Galladay performs very well. Um, I think if you're looking at things subjectively too, you know, there's a lot of reason to feel like, uh, you know, he should have a pretty good season. How much room is there in Detroit? You know, I feel pretty decent about Matthew Stafford. We talked with Fantasy Mansion who who thinks that, uh, you know, DeAndre Swift is going to have the best season of all time. Uh, so how much room is there really for DJ Hawkinson? I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, it's possible he finishes as a low-end tight end one, though. Um, but between him and Fant, I think that you can create a more compelling story for Fant. Uh, before we close down for uh, this episode, though, Matt, I'm going to hit you with three quick questions here. Um, I believe that I stole these two from uh, questions people shot to you on Twitter, but I think this works because you've already answered them. Thus, you can give us a nice, concise answer. You're saying this as if I remember the answers. I, I 100% do not remember the answers. Um, I, I will, though, uh, say that I saw your response to somebody posed you something about there was like this castle that's on this island and it's oh, yeah. like how much do they have to pay you to go there and my, my first thought too was like god i might do that for free and it seemed like oh I, yes. yes yes easily so the the premise of it is it's this small little island which is um like a hundred miles away from shore which i don't think that's accurate if you're sort of like looking anyway but so let's say in theory it's a hundred miles offshore uh no electricity uh, nothing like that. Uh, it's a small little castle. So like you're safe from the elements, but you don't have like many comforts. You have bedding, you have enough food and water for 30 days and no electricity. You can take uh, only books uh, easily. I could I could do this. Uh, it would be a pleasure to be able to do that. Oh, my God. That sounds fantastic. Um, yeah. Also, I believe it said that you get like all like the paper, pencils, pens that you need. So you have writing materials. Oh, come on. Easy. Easy. Dude, this, this it's is like a, a cup dunk. of coffee. This is a cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was I was born to do this. I don't know if yeah. I would even need to bring pen and paper, but I mean, if I get to <laughs> sure that that's totally fine. I yep. don't know if I'd even need to bring multiple books. Like, yeah, if if all I could bring was um like the complete works of Shakespeare or something like that would be enough for me I, I wouldn't need anything else but if you can take multiple books unlimited books I mean this is this is cake it's so easy yeah you know the other thing is I'm surprised um that you don't see more people that are parents like jumping at this thing and it's not anything to do with the kids it's just like you know for COVID. some people for like 11 12 years you've had no opportunity to do like anything for yourself to get like any rest all of that stuff. So it's like you got the perfect excuse. You have like a year's worth almost depending on, you know, where your kids go of college tuition because it's so crazy. And it's like one of those things that you're always worried about is how expensive everything's getting to have kids. So, you know, it's a good way to, to get away and to justify it too. Yeah. I'd love to do that. All right. Let's get to some real questions. Okay. Yep. Uh, Pittman. Oh, actually, um, I'm just going to mention this because I think it's pretty funny and it sounds like it's still going on. Um, my daughter has been going through a stretch of um, – not wanting to go to sleep at night. And tonight she pulled out the excuse of that. She can't go to sleep because she's nocturnal. Nice. I like that. Yep. Which, um, you know, the evidence 
actually, she pulled it out a couple of weeks ago and she's trying to trying to rework it in. But I'm like, the evidence doesn't support that, at least because you have slept many a night now, you know, over the last couple of weeks. But I think that's a pretty good one. Does sound like she might still be up. That doesn't concern anybody here. Pittman, Iuk, or Mims in Dynasty? Uh, Iuk, and I would say uh, pretty clearly for me, I have Iuk at the top of a tier, and then Pittman and Mims at the top of the next tier. So, you know, I I think there's a decent difference between them, but uh, I understand enthusiasm for Pittman and Mims, but Iuk was drafted with uh, a first-rounder. I think he's with a better team. Um, you know, he has some opportunity even in year one to have, you know, some some good playing time. And, uh, you know, he was a yard after the catch monster in college. There are lots of things to like about his versatility. So I would go with Ayuk. Yeah, that, I mean, to me, that was a pretty clear one, too. And uh, I do like the fact that it already looks like he's going to be in a situation that's conducive to him getting off to a good start. Um, after taking CMC, which is the better route? The first one is to go Kelsey and Godwin. Um, then Mahomes plus Kelsey or Kittle. We can, I think we can throw that one out or Galladay and Allen Robinson. Uh, why would you throw out the Mahomes plus Kelsey? Um, because I just don't want to take, um, you don't want to. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to take, I wouldn't, I don't want to take the quarterback. I don't want to take a quarterback that early, but if you are going to, I don't hate the idea of stacking Mahomes and Kelsey, but I would kind of be surprised if Kelsey is available right. uh, that late in the second round. Um, but uh, yeah, if one of the tight ends happens to fall to you, whether that's Kelsey or Kittle, then I'd say great, take him. Uh, and then, I mean, I don't know. I kind of don't like some of the wide receivers uh, in that range, like Godwin, Allen Robinson, Galladay. I don't know. Like I, I would just rather, I think, do something else. So I'm cool with uh, with the tight end. I don't know. Maybe James Conner's there. Maybe a wide receiver you like is available there. But uh, I guess a tight end for sure if one of those guys falls. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I would have ended up with as well. Um, so that does it for this episode of Rotoviz Radio. The season's coming up. You can still get a 10% off discount on a one-year rotoviz subscription apply the discount code 2020 rv radio at checkout go to rotoviz so much stuff coming out right now to help you win your league uh that does it though you can reach us at rotoviz radio at gmail.com follow us on twitter at dave cabin ff and at matt f the oracle thanks to underdog fantasy the ffpc thera one Bet online, Sunday ticket. Hopefully, I didn't miss anybody. Go check all that out. Um, thanks, though, to them for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it.